turn to Daniel chapter 9. Remember, Daniel has been in captivity in Babylon. The Babylonians took him into captivity when he was a, a young man, meaning he was uh, 13, 14, 15 years old. And he's been there his entire life. He's been in Babylon now 70 years. Just, just imagine that. He's been in captivity. He's been in exile his whole life, as long as he can remember, basically. And during that time, of course, he's had the amazing and interesting, influential positions. He's been employed by the government. His job was to make Babylon work, to make it work better, to be more efficient. Even when uh, many of the leaders of Babylon were really repulsive, uh, just disgusting and horrible, they were the oppressors too. Obviously they were oppressing him and he had to work hard for them with honor. He was an asset uh, to them. And last week we looked at some of the visions uh, that he had during one of the last kings, uh, well, not one of the last, the last king of, of Babylon, Belshazzar, uh, who was just horrible. He was horrendous as a, as a leader, as a person, as a man of character. Um, just not the kind of guy you want to serve, but his job was to serve him and serve him well. Daniel is an amazing example in, uh, in Scripture. You know, in, in the Bible, the Bible's very... It's a very realistic book. And if you look through, in fact, one of the hardest things on your faith and the best thing for your faith <laughs> is to read through the Bible. <laughs> you know, if you have a sort of a phony, shallow a view of the Bible and then you go to read it, uh, you're going to find out, wow, this is a challenging book. It's difficult. And one of the things is almost all of the heroes of the book are hugely faulty, extremely um, so, you know, over and over and over again. They let you down, they let you down. But there's a few that are just stellar, you know, just bright and shining stars, the human histories left for us. And Daniel is clearly one of those. It's hard to find anything against Daniel in uh, in the Bible. Joseph is another shining example of, of that kind of person. So Daniel is one to be emulated, one to be copied. If you're looking for an example, let's, let's look at Daniel, figure out how, how he thought about his life, what he did, what practically did he do to be so successful and to leave a heritage that's worthy of our, follow, our following. Um, we just had a funeral last Sunday night uh, for one of our dear saints uh, of our church named Travis Smith. And he was such a man. He was uh, left an amazing heritage. And he, his, his children, his four living children, uh, were able to say that uh, they love the example he left for them in so many wonderful, specific ways. And Daniel leaves that kind of heritage 
Dare to be a Daniel. Daniel chapter 9. Again, it's, the clock has been ticking, tick, 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 and he's been there a very, very long time, and he knows it's about 70 years that he's been there, and, and in fact, Babylon has fallen. The Medes and the Persians have taken over, and it's pretty early in the reign of the Medes and the Persians, and we find him under Darius uh, at this time. So let me read what we're going to do with chapter 9. It's a a wonderful chapter. It's rich. It's rich. It's way too rich. Uh, you could spend uh, probably, you know, decades, and somebody probably has spent decades teaching in Romans. Uh, excuse me, uh, in Daniel chapter nine. Um, but I'm just gonna. We're gonna go through the prayer part, and then next week we're gonna sort of tackle the predictive prophecy part, uh, getting into the. Uh, last parts of the book of Daniel. So the prayer part of Daniel 9, which is the bulk of the chapter. Here is the word of God. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. That's just another name for the Babylonians. Chaldeans were like the predominant uh, ethnic group, the, the group of power, the favored group uh, in Babylon, the Chaldeans. He's made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Okay, so this is very interesting. It shows you, uh, it, we've just been ushered into the house of Daniel, and we've come to his library. We find in his library, in Babylon, he has the Bible. And it's cool because Jeremiah is practically a contemporary just, just uh, you know, uh, half a generation before him. Uh, and, and while he's been there, Jeremiah's been writing his book. So he has the Bible in Babylon. That's pretty cool. How did he get it? I don't know. <laughs> he had a way. And not only does he have a Bible, but what? He's been reading it. <laughs> he knows the Word of God. So hold on to that. We're going to be thinking about that. And he's, he perceives in there that the time of exile is supposed to be 70 years. And like I said, tick-tock, tick-tock, he says, hey, 70 years. So what is he going to say then? Verse 3. Here's the prayer. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and please for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. So he's coming at prayer fervently. He's changing his clothing. He's not wearing pleasant-looking clothing. He's wearing uh, gunny sacks and not the beautiful brand of clothing from San Francisco. Uh, these are, I went to India. And they, they, my host was calling them gunny bags. 
I just thought that was cool. Gunny bags. <laughs> no, it's a gunny sack. No, it's a gunny bag. Okay. <laughs> You've been speaking English longer than I have been. <laughs> um, for us, you know, this ubiquitous tarp material uh, that now you go and buy a big bag of dog food and it comes in that same kind of material. It's that tough stuff. You can imagine wearing an old dog food bag. I, I know this is almost heresy, but there's a, there's a store called Walmart. <laughs> Don't throw anything yet, but um, my, daughter's, my, my dear daughter's anti-Walmart, uh, <laughs> which is good. But anyway, <laughs> Walmart has a brand of dog food, which, you know, not recommended. I fed it to my dog, and my dog died. I don't know. Is there a connection? I'm not sure. My dog was very old, though. You know, in human years, he was like 85. So, <laughs> But the, the brand, this is a great endorsement. <laughs> We're going to get sued now. No. <laughs> a great endorsement. The brand is what? You know what it is? It's Old Roy. Old Roy. Okay. So here he's, he's getting his Old Roy bag out, dressing in an Old Roy bag. What does it show? It shows uh, he's serious. He's desperate. He's lowly. It's very humble. None of you, none of of us came in an old Roy bag today. Um, And ashes too. So I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and please for, it's begging for mercy with fasting. He gave up eating and sackcloth and ashes. So in that attitude of prayer, listen to this awesome, rich text format. I prayed to Yahweh, my God, and made confession saying, Oh, Lord, it's Adonai. Oh, Lord, the great and awesome God. We're going to talk about that. We're going to open that up a little bit later. But awesome is an okay translation, but it's a little bit too wimpy because it means the the God who is terrible, who is awe-inspiring, who's dreadful. The root word is fear. The root word is fear there in Hebrew. Yahweh, fear. But like I said, we'll open that up a little bit and talk about it. O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love, chesed, with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land? To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. As at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you to us oh Yahweh belongs open 
shame to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated your favor the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity that has, excuse me, and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O oh our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy and for your own sake, O oh Lord. Make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. Oh, my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name, for we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, Forgive, O oh Lord, pay attention and act, delay not for your own sake, O oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Let's pray, Father God in heaven, we thank you for this record of this amazing prayer of Daniel, your servant. O oh Lord, please teach us Teach all of us. Give us listening ears to hear what you're saying to each of us. Lord, make us humble in your presence. Would you, it's, it's 
uh, scary to ask this, but it's our true prayer. Would you reveal yourself to us and slay us and crush us uh, so that we would know this kind of contrite heart and contrite spirit and that we would plead with you for mercy, O oh God, and, and revel in your righteousness and know that it belongs to you and you give it freely to all who ask because you are good. Thank you, Lord, for this fantastic text of Scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. So how do you be a Daniel? How do you stay faithful in, a, in a, an unbearable situation for so long? How do you, how do you stay faithful to God? And where, where do we get back on track if we're off track? Well, I think in this passage, there's some very clear indications of how and what to do here. First of all, the consistent life of Daniel. The consistent life of Daniel. Remember, we had a picture of Daniel back in chapter 6. It got him in big trouble. But turn there with me. Daniel 6.10. This is what got him thrown in the lion's den, remember? And, and notice how it's, it is recorded here, exactly how this happened. It says, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, that's the document that says, anybody who prays is going to be thrown in the lion's den. When he knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks. And the New Testament says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Huge, horrible, difficult spiritual discipline to give thanks in everything. It'll be the, it'll, you're struggling with something, you hate something, it's overwhelming. Watch this now, you just give thanks for it. And sometimes it's like a light switch, like boom, ah, well, it's a whole different perspective. What is God doing through this? What, why has he actively brought this into my life? You know, please, let's get out the big spiritual eraser and erase that word aloud. God didn't allow this. He brought it. Didn't you hear Daniel 9? It's very, it's dogmatic. He's got a hammer, wang, 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 hitting a 16-penny nail into oak. How many times do you have to hit it? It's a non-coated nail. <laughs> If you've ever tried to drive out, you know, one of those big, shiny, silver uh, nails, like a 20-penny nail, you know, not the, coat, not the VCs, not the vinyl coated, and try to, try to nail it through this stand here. Now, Pat could do it, and, but I, I think it'd still take him 20 times with a, with a, a big hammer. I mean, it, it's hard. It, isn't that what the prayer is doing for us? It's, it's we're so dense. <laughs> We're like a block of oak. <laughs> Speak for yourself, Nate. Okay. I'm like a block of oak. <laughs> I need it wanged into my head. And, and, and that's that giving thanks, the acknowledgement of the sovereignty of God. It, it doesn't make sense, but we can't figure it out with our finite minds and the the release of letting that be is fantastic. He gave thanks 
Three times a day he prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. 6.10. So the consistency of this, this man of God. Daniel is a man of God. He's hopeful, preserving, and faithful. Actually, um, Jeremy and I didn't specifically coordinate the opening reading from Romans, but it's so perfect. You know, these trials, we endure them because they bring perseverance, faithfulness, hopefulness. That's a, Daniel's an example of somebody who really practiced that. Constantly praying, constantly believing. He will not give up. You know, God is still the, on the throne. Do whatever you want. You know, Belshazzar drank from that temple instrument, that bowl that your great-great-grandfather stole from Jerusalem. Drink your wine from it. You're not damaging God. Laugh at me. Our, our website was, was hacked. Uh, it was taken down. And the guy was gloating all over it. Your God didn't protect your website. <laughs> and uh, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> I, I put in a response, God's bigger than our website. <laughs> yeah, you can't take down God, you know. You can hack our website because we're idiots and we had the back door open. <laughs> but we, we fixed that. Hopefully it's all good now. But, you know, constantly believing is Daniel. Constantly obeying. You know, what is he doing? Why are you still worshiping God? I mean, 70 years? You're serving Belshazzar? You're serving Darius now? You know, so what do you, why? Give up on this. Your God is not real. Because if God was real, he'd stop all this bad stuff from happening. And Daniel says, no. He's got a bigger plan. The big thing we don't see in an equation like your God is not real because a bad thing happened is you don't see the timeline. <laughs> the book of Habakkuk, which means ardent embrace. I love that. Habakkuk. The answer is, well, why? Why is this happening, God? And God says, just wait. You'll see. You'll see. Hold on. Wait. Wait. Hold on. Wait on the Lord. You'll see. Keep believing. Keep obeying. And, of course, keep reading the word. He's, he's a man of the word, Daniel is. He loved the word. He lived by it. He went through, I'm going to uh, speculate, he went through great effort to get the word. He's living in Babylon. How do you have Jeremiah? That's pretty cool. There's no app for that. You can't download, there's no iTunes, you know. You can't download Jeremiah, my friends. It's a long ways and a hard journey. Uh, I'm opening to a classic, beautiful passage that I actually referred to it last week. 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 3. This is one of those foundational passages for why we do what we do. Why, why, why in the world would adult people take time out of a, a hot winter's day <laughs> and come and listen to a man read the Bible in public? I can think of more relevant things to do. Like go to Redbox and rent a video. Why would we do that? Because this is the word of God. It's like blow your head off. It's huge. It's, it's unbelievable. Listen to this. 
2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. Note the inherent profitability. It is inherently profitable. It is inherently relevant because of who said it. You know, I'm not trying to make God's word relevant. Your church, repent of that. There's pastors across the United States laboring in their studies, trying to make the word of God relevant. You know, what blasphemy. You know, just, it is relevant. Sorry. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That Daniel, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. How did Daniel do it? He's a man of God. He's constantly reading the word. He has a consistent life. Consistent life. He does this over and over again. He, he goes to church. It's, it's the Lord's day. He goes to church. I know that's anachronistic because he didn't go to church, okay? Uh, he, 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 he worshiped God regularly, probably publicly. We don't know a lot there, but he did. He was always consistent. Now, I want to go back to Daniel 9 and, and really get into this text just a little bit. This, this text is so cool. And uh, I'll try not to get too excited about it. Why? Because next thing, he, he had a consuming vision. I was joking with my kids about George Bush Sr. Remember him? Remember him? <laughs> and remember his, they were criticizing, for not, criticizing him for not having vision. And he called it the V word. <laughs> it's a generational thing. Didn't like that word. But Daniel has a view of God. Another way to say this is his theology is huge. It, and it's based on the scripture. His view of God is true. And it's consuming. If you do, do go to our webpage, it's still working, I think. And clicking around, you'll find the vision for First Baptist Church that prayerfully we put together a couple of years ago. And in there we talk about being obsessed with God. A proper obsession. Obsession is usually a bad word, but with God, you, you're obsessed with who he is, and it's guided by the truth. We have a cairn here. It's not because we're Buddhist, okay? This, this cairn, this little pile of rocks, if you go hiking in the Sierras, and you're going on a trail that's not well marked, a lot of people will put up little piles of rocks to guide you on your walk through life. And this is a cairn symbolizing that God's word is the guide. It guides us in the way of truth. That's how we know. It's an informed faith, a consuming vision that is an informed faith. First of all, let me get into this uh, real quickly here. There's this cool literary situation in the book of Daniel. You know, the name for God, I've, I vocalized it a couple of times while I read the text, the name for God is Yahweh, the sacred tetragrammaton. Fancy word for saying this, the holy four letters, Y-H-W-H. That's the name of God that he told Moses by the burning bush. He's revealed himself as Yahweh. 
it's the Jewish name for God, the Hebrew name for God, and it's based on the Hebrew verb to be. And so when Jesus says, I am, they pick up stones to kill him because he's identifying himself with the eternal God, this, the non-created, self-existing creator God uh, who is. And in him, we live and move and have our being. When I say I am, I equivocate when I say God is. Okay? Meaning, it's not the same language. I, I don't exist compared to God. When he says, I am, everything subsists in him. It's massive reality. <laughs> He's the ground of all being. Uh, the time and space continuum is his creation. Woo! And so, the cool literary feature is that word is never in Daniel until chapter 9. It comes out, bang! And, and Daniel, of course, a good portion of the book of Daniel was written in Aramaic, so that makes it even easier to hide the name of God in a sense. But God is there. And you see uh, verse 3, I turn my face to the Lord God, that's Adonai, Elohim, something like that, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy and fasting and uh, sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to Yahweh, first time in the book. <laughs> I prayed to the God who is, the great I am, the source of all power. I took it to the top. <laughs> he knows about authority, right? His whole life's lived in bureaucracy, and he knows how to make bureaucracy work. Uh, I, I'm probably terrible at it, but Daniel really knew what he's doing. I prayed to the Lord, Yahweh, my God, and made confession. Um, actually, I, I want to correct myself because I made a mistake. The first time is in verse 2, which is even cooler. Uh, <laughs> 2 is always cooler than 4. It, 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 <laughs> seriously, but in, in, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of the years according to the word of Yahweh. Okay? That's the first time it comes into this book. So what is he saying? I, I keep this. I trusted in this faith. I've cultivated this culture. I've kept this vision alive of the revealed God. I believe in him no matter what. And who is he, this God? He's, he's great and dreadful. Uh, I want to just spend a moment on this, and if this is all we end up with time for, that's fine and dandy. Verse 4, please. Look at, please look at verse 4. I prayed to Yahweh, my God, and made confession, saying, O Lord, and that's Adonai. And here, the Hebrew would sound something like this. I'm, I say that because I'm, I'm not that great at pronouncing Hebrew, but I did study it for two years in seminary. An Ana, that's O, Ana, Adonai, Ana, Adonai, Ha'el, the God, Ha'el, Ha'gadol, Ha'gadol, which is great, Gadol, and Ha'gadol means the great. So, Ana, that's Ah, oh Lord, oh Adonah, 
Ha'el, the God, Ha'gadol, and then the final word is Wuh, which means and, Ha, the, and then the word is Ora. Ora. Kind of cool word, isn't it? And like I said, the, the Hebrew root there is uh, Yah-re, Yah-ra, uh, which is fear. So the root in there is fear. And in, in, I looked it up in Spanish for some reason. I was attracted to Spanish today. It's, I, Señor, el Dios grande y temible. Temible. The fearsome, the dreadful, the terrible, the awful, the frightful. In, like I said, in the King James, it says, Oh, Lord, the great and dreadful God, great and awesome. Why is he starting there? He's saying, you are the... We don't come lightly into your presence. We don't come in our own righteousness, he'll make very clear later on, which we won't have time to uh, hammer on to too much. We don't come in our own righteousness. We, ne- we never come to God and say, God, I hope I've done enough good. Oh, Lord, no. You know, it's filthy rags, dear friend. Forget that. Repent of that. Come only in Jesus. Only in Jesus. He, he's all. He is the righteous acts of God. Beautiful, beautiful. Look, look, look at verse 16. Look at verse 16. That's, I think it's messianic. Daniel doesn't even know this. You know, we can sing, oh, we love the cross, we love the cross, and we don't sing that lightly. But he doesn't even know about the cross yet. He doesn't understand. We do. We should never be light about it. Look at verse 16. Oh, Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem. And what is the greatest righteous act of God? It's the death of Jesus. According to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, I come to you, Father God. You are the, the large and the terrible, the awesome. You are um, worthy of awe. Okay, we have to work through this a little quicker here. Great and dreadful, he keeps his covenant and love for those who love and obey him. The next phrase there in Daniel 9. Who keeps covenant and steadfast love. Why are we coming to this dreadful, scary God? Well, he's promised to keep his word. And in this, he's basing everything he's saying on the word of God. I know your word. I trust your word. And it's your steadfast love. I preached a sermon on love during Christmas time. It's a Hebrew word, chesed. It's steadfast love. We depend on the love of God. If he were just scary, <laughs> you know, we'd be wiped out. But he's loving and a covenant-making God, which means he's made this big agreement. We trust in the new covenant, in the blood of Christ. He keeps covenant and steadfast love, but doesn't it tweak us a little bit because it's just with those who love him and keep his commandments. Yes, that tweaks us a little bit. <laughs> Why? Because it puts, it puts it on us a little bit. It, it, there's no room for some sort of magic formula of salvation, like say these magic words 
and live like the devil the rest of your life. And as long as you can bring into heaven a Bible that says, my Sunday school teacher said I prayed the prayer of salvation, so I is saved. <laughs> Honestly, I know that's a little, sorry, a little layered there. But that, that, that's just not biblical at all. The Bible says, my sheep hear my voice, and they go off and do whatever they darn well please. No. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. That's no different than what this is here. He keeps his covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. It's not based on their works. He makes that really clear later on. But their works demonstrate that they are his sheep. They are following him. I mentioned Travis Smith in one of the sweetest moments probably of, of the evening was uh, early in their courtship and, and uh, Alice was quite young. Uh, Travis said, well, what's your favorite verse in the Bible to, to Alice? And Alice said, what's your favorite verse? <laughs> and he said, uh, Romans eight twenty eight. He said, well, that's my favorite verse. <laughs> we can have that favorite verse together. And that, that's a beautiful testimony. And they quoted that. And I'd like to look at this very famous verse, very favorite verse of many. Beautifully well put, but it's exactly almost from Daniel 9, Romans 8, 28. It says this, and this is the English Standard Version. It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. See, there's this big, beautiful package of hard-to-understand truths. <laughs> this passage teaches the absolute sovereignty of God. Let me read the rest of it. It says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. You know, not, not to have a Sunday school teacher write it in the leaflet of your Bible that you got saved on such and such a day, but there's a conforming of us, of those who are saved. They're, they're, they're predestined to be conformed. You know, Lord, conform us. We need a lot more of that. To be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So it is all a work of God. All his sovereignty from before the creation of the world. He's chosen some to be saved. And Christ dies for them and they're, they're saved forever. But they are the people who love God. It says we know that for those who love God, they, they're responding, they're walking, they're obeying. And, and Daniel knows this. He, is, he keeps covenant and love for those who love and obey him. Um, another bullet here, sorry, keep you into it once. He has spoken and expects to be heard. Daniel 9, just the general thing. Let's look at it real quick. I don't have to be quick. Forgive me for rushing. I can, uh, we've got plenty of time. The food is not getting cold. It's sandwiches. <laughs> Daniel 9, he has spoken and has the audacity to expect to be heard. 
This is from a parent's point of view with teenagers <laughs> or any age kids. You speak and you expect to be heard. Audacity. Who do you think you are? Well, I thought I was the parent. No, we've demoted you. <laughs> you're one of the kids and you're probably the youngest kid here. <laughs> Not that my kids have put us through that. <laughs> Look at how this works in this passage. It's, I mean, it's, this is the uncoated 20-penny nail going into the oak again. Uh, he has spoken and expects to be heard. Verse 6. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, etc., etc., etc. Then verses 9 through 10. I mean, again, here it is. Wang. The Holy Spirit's hitting with a very heavy hammer. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. See, Daniel has the same exact view of inspiration that Paul the apostle had. All scriptures breathed out by God. This is the, it's the voice of the prophets, but it's the voice of God. That's why we don't rebel against it. Verse 11 uh, no, I just wanted to do 9 through 10 at this point. And have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws. Then look at verse 12. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us, by bringing upon us a great calamity. I'm sorry, it's, it's supposed to say by allowing a great calamity. I don't know where the word allowing got, got erased by a spiritual eraser. <laughs> by bringing upon us a great calamity, for under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God. God makes a promise to his people. If, if you disobey me, if you disobey the warnings I'm giving you, your life is going to be miserable. You're going to wander away from me, and in fact, I'm going to punish you. I promise I'll punish you if you do that. I promise. And God was so patient with them. Kept sending another messenger, another messenger, another messenger. And they kept disallowing, not listening. And God kept his promise, and he's punished them now for 70 years. You know, this is true in this world today. If you turn your back on the revealed will of God, you will be miserable eventually. I don't know when. You might be happy for a long time, but you will be miserable. And the worst part of it is if you continue in your ignoring God, you will spend eternity miserable with no remission, no possibility of change. It's, it's a fate to be avoided at any cost. He has spoken and he expects to be heard. Verse 14 at the very end, and we have not obeyed his voice. Uh, I've already made this point. He owns righteousness, mercy, and forgiveness. It's, it's his private property. He owns it. He, he's not obligated to give it, but he will give it when we ask him. He's paid the price to give it out freely. Come to him. He will give it to you. You can't demand it. I mean, you can't demand private property unless you're the IRS. But you, you, you can't just come. I can't go up to Brent and say, Brent, you know, I really like your car. Give it to me. Yeah. 
it's, it's wrong. He say, you're crazy. I'm, I'm sorry, I like you. You're, you seem like a reasonable guy up until now. You know? But I, I'm, I, I own this car. I'm making payments or whatever. It's mine. You can't just take it. Um, that's the idea of private property. He, salvation belongs to the Lord. He gives it to us, but he's not under an obligation to give it to us. He gives it out of grace out of kindness, and he's paid the way to give it. But he owns it. So we come humbly. That's the point. We come humbly. God has brought the punishment upon his people. I think I have hit that one hard enough. And God will bring mercy and salvation for his own sake. I'm not going to read it because it's extremely well said in the this section of scripture, verses 16 through 19. But I would like to read Titus 3. Turn with me to Titus chapter 3. Jeremy, could you do me a favor and open that side door? The, the, the T's in the New Testament are in alphabetical order. Titus 3. Just, just listen to the word of God how it coincides so well with Daniel 9. This is to a pastor of a church, uh, Titus. He's, he's in a really tough town called Crete. He says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to be, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration. He's going to rebirth you totally new, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. See, Paul says to Titus, you, as a pastor, keep preaching salvation by faith alone, by grace alone. Keep preaching it. Keep explaining it. Because this is the motivation for Christian service. Why do we serve? Because he paid it all. We owe him everything. We could never pay it. He's, he's lavished his grace upon us. He poured it out on us. I want you to insist on these things. You know, be biblical. Insist on it. No, 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 no. That's not right. Because the Bible says this. Insist on these things. That those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice 
have nothing more to do with him knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. God will bring mercy and salvation for his own sake. We come not... I do this little equation all the time. I ask God for something. And I say, well, I am totally unworthy. I have, I have no righteousness to ask him for this. But then I say, well, wait a minute. I have the righteousness of Christ. What does it mean to pray in the name of Jesus? It means I'm coming to you in the name of the infinitely valuable Son of God, and I'm asking in his name, could you please help me? By your sake, for your righteousness, I bring this request before you. Consuming vision. He had a consistent life. He had consuming vision. And finally, I think a huge point of this passage is he has a contrite heart. Not once do you ever hear him saying, you know, come on, God, it's been long enough. We didn't really deserve this. Why are you being so hard on us? I mean, you cut us a break here. We, I, look, we're trying our best. I was sincere. <laughs> you know, I had a hard childhood, for heaven's sakes, God. I was ripped away from my mother. I haven't seen her since I was 13. She, I didn't get to go to her funeral. Be kind to me. Not once do you hear that in him. Why? Because God owns righteousness, mercy, and forgiveness. And we come humbly to him wearing an old Roy bag. Humbly saying, please, Lord, because of your sake, because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, forgive me. He's humble. His, his consuming vision, his big view of Yahweh, the self-existing God, makes him humble and contrite. And it's a model of a beautiful confession. His faith makes him a humble man. The, the knowledge of God and himself. He knows who God is and who he is. We have sin. I mean, look, you know, I don't have time to bang it again, but... It's all in there. We're wicked. We're sinful. Wicked. Sinful. Why? Because we rebelled against you. Blah, blah, blah. He's, he's not, not, he never, never says blah, blah, blah. <laughs> he, he's repetitively saying that confession is, I am sinful. No ifs, ands, or buts. There's no excuses here. I, I own it. I, it's mine. I confess it. Confess means to say the same thing about sin that God says about it. The Greek word is homo, homo, legao, to speak the same thing. God says it's worth sending you to hell for, and my son has died for that sin. It's massive. Don't belittle it. Don't make excuses for it. Say what Daniel has said. He's humble. He has an accurate view of God. Accurate. Consuming vision, that's not inaccuracy. That's an accurate view of God. Yeah, you won't find it at the Hallmark store. Well, the Hallmark store is not an accurate place to find out who God is. Contrite heart, knowledge of God himself, conviction and confession. One of the key words here is we, we've, we've committed treachery. You see that in verse 7? And here's the Hebrew word, it's ma'al. Sounds like Latin and Greek, doesn't it? It probably is related. Mal, malware. It's a, uh, <laughs> because we were hacked, uh, 
Jeremy was running malware on our computers, which was a good thing, right? <laughs> no, well, whatever. <laughs> malware is bad, and this is, the, this is treachery. Ma'al, to act unfaithfully. Uh, this is the word that describes, remember Achan went into Ai and took the things that were under the ban and hidden, hid them in his tent so that the whole nation was condemned because he was hiding something in his tent? That's this word treachery, ma'al. It's also used in the Hebrew Bible of a wife uh, committing infidelity against her husband. Yeah, and we'd say it goes the other way too, absolutely. <laughs> Either way, but a husband discovering infidelity of his wife can be one of the heaviest, worst, uh, treacherous realities I literally had a friend who killed himself over this. I, I did his funeral. Uh, he shot himself in the head with a shotgun. Forgive me for being too crude here. Um, it's the, one of the few times I actually, his, his wife asked me to go into the morgue to look at him. That's when I was a county hospital chaplain. It's true. Tre so that hit me. That's what treachery is. You know, you've broken covenant. That's, how, that's what sin is. It's not something light. It's treachery. And how does dear Daniel keep his head on straight? He has no bitterness toward God. He's not blaming God. He is contrite and he is ashamed. He's ashamed of his sin. And he's ashamed of the sin of his culture. You know, we... We poke fun at it. It's the main joke in our primetime television. Various kinds of sin. Ho, ho, ho. It's so funny they're sinning. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a blasphemy. It, it's not funny. It's horrendous. We, we used to say, have you no shame? <laughs> and now we teach kids, you're okay. We're all about your self-esteem. You know, we're just hoping you feel good about yourself. That's the worst thing you can tell somebody, actually, in spiritual sense. We hope you feel horrible about yourself. Enough to repent of your sin and come to Christ, the only salvation. In Ezekiel 20, 20, 43, and Ezekiel 36, 31, it uses the word, we will loathe ourselves when we understand our sin. We will loathe ourselves. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit to start loathing now. Start loathing early and often. I highly recommend it. In, 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 and listen to me carefully. What does this mean? It means all of Jesus and none of me. He's the great Savior. He saves you. In yourself, you should loathe yourself. Ezekiel 20, verse 43 and 36, verse 31. It's the word of God. It may not be, you know, uh, psychologically appropriate, but that's probably because that's pagan psychology. He's ashamed. It's shame. We bear shame, he says, in that passage. And, and that's good because you can get over it. <laughs> it's the most wonderful thing to admit you're a sinner because you can repent of sin. If, if, if I am the way I am because of some biological determination, then I can't ever solve that. I have to go to CVS every month and get another prescription. I'm sick. 
But if I'm a sinner, <laughs> there's hope because <laughs> sin can be repented of and you will be free and you will be sanctified. You'll be set apart. There's a solution to sin. There's no solution to uh, an incurable, non-diagnosable, forgive me, <laughs> illness. <laughs> uh, okay, that's all I want to say. Uh, you had a consistent life. He had a consuming vision, and he had a contrite heart. And I think the best question I need to ask, we need to ask ourselves, are we praying that God will convict us of sin? Are we victims of our own arrogance? We're, we're chosen. We're, we're elect. We're saved. We're arrogant. You know, no. <laughs> the true understanding of what's called the doctrines of grace is to lead you to no confidence. We take a vote of zero confidence in the flesh. We say, I have no confidence in me. It's all in Christ. Are we arrogant? Let's pray. Oh, Father, forgive me for not uh, doing a good enough job on this great text. I don't think anybody could. I tried. But it's a beautiful, big, and wonderful, and amazing text of Scripture. And I thank you for it. I thank you for the, the bad, the dark, and the light in it. The bad and the good. You are a terrible, scary God, but you're the God who makes a covenant and has steadfast love. And we come to you not on our righteousness, but in the righteousness of Jesus alone. And we... we we desperately want you to draw us to yourself and motivate us to serve you here and now while we wait for the big return. Amen. Mm -hmm.